0: Drabblecast B-Sides, Episode 3: Celestial Duck, Breaststroke to Freedom by Orlo Yablip. A private detective is looking for answers to find a missing person, but what he finds will blow your mind. Orlo has had stories in The Dream People, Frigg Magazine, Dog's Plot, Eye Shot, and has pieces due out in Locust Novus and Ellie Mae. So brace yourself. Celestial Duck, Breaststroke to Freedom by Orlo Yablip I was beer for beer and shot for shot in all of Cape Canaveral's go-go bars with every ghost and egghead that didn't flinch or crumble at the sight of Edward Stone. Took me ten nights to get some answers to get what I was looking for and over the thuds of the strip joint sound system, it sounded kinda like, oh, battered corpse, Eh, dug pee apart. Oh, my bison's ache now. But it was difficult to tell. Not only were his words smothered in disco, hungry wolf whistles pierced the room. A group of astrophysicists out on their bachelorette night Women of science, rapt with glee at how their greasy dollar bills gave them a good reason to frequent the thongs of the innocent, the waxed, and the glistening. Battered corpse. I rolled the sentence back and forth, trying to tease out a meaning. Nothing. I peeled my attention away from the veils above the lab coats, away from the dancer and his pole, and stretched out towards the sunken figure next to me at the bar. What was that about batter, buddy? I didn't quite catch it. My drinking companion didn't stir. The man's head rested on the bar, a stray peanut pressed into his forehead, giving him a tiny dry roasted horn. His breath had fogged the silver surface which was haloed by a dozen wet rings from emptied shot glasses. I pushed at his shoulder, but his suit was slack like a plaid soup. He was gone. I lifted the photograph off the bar, wiped the liquid against my leg. Missing persons meant only a couple of outcomes in my experience, and neither of them were good. this, this was something different. I looked down at the faded image, Edward Stone, bright eyes, enthusiastic smile, perfect teeth. There was a moment. It came to all investigators, when their work was done, just one call was left. I imagined it came to many professionals, doctors with bad news, judges on the verge of sentencing. That moment had come for me now. I stood up and I walked towards the line of phone booths, feeling the sway of a bourbon sea that seemed to swell and surge underneath my feet. I pulled open the booth and stepped inside. It was quieter, at least. I fished around for the number and fed a fistful of coins into the slot. Shot for shot, I would followed that guy, and now, for the life of me, I couldn't remember whether my client was eight hours ahead or behind. Whatever time zone it was, I knew this couldn't wait. I dialed the first two digits. zeros. The ringing tones were so far apart, I felt myself blacking out between each one. I slumped down on the stool and waited, trying to straighten the facts out in my head. When I first got the job, it seemed easy. Sometimes you don't even get a name. I had Edward Stone, dressed up just like a real astronaut, beaming, had the mission name sewn into his pocket, Iron John 1. When it wasn't listed in any NASA sites, my second thought was actor, especially with that heroic cleft, the perfect hair. But nothing came up. The simple flash of that photograph could stop a room full of these locals, so I knew I was onto something. The mission was real enough, though. I soon found that out but it should have all vanished. Turns out the crew members refused to come down. It cost me a long, long line of bourbons to learn that space isn't quite as empty as I'd thought. That nozzle coming out from his chest in the photo, for instance, that's not for air. It's not even a standard issue spacesuit. That nozzle is for milk. This science officer, Mr. Edward Stone, with his glistening teeth, was NASA's first lactating astronaut. He was carrying a child in the final weeks of gestation, secreted away in that bulky outfit. The mission itself was faultless, had been for weeks, and then the crew just decided to open their present early with a weightless cesarean. Everything changed. The Navigator put them in a gentle orbit around the Earth, and all communication channels were closed, because if the media had known, they would have said, the world holds its breath again and again and again. Down on the ground, the ties and top buttons disappeared from shirts as technicians wriggled fingers inside their collars. Five days passed before the Iron John 1 sent their first message. All in good health, Douglas, born seven pounds, three ounces. The last thing the directors needed was a spaceship full of men proudly beaming down images of a top secret child. The final term was supposed to happen behind the moon, hidden away where every variable could be controlled. And now this. The astronauts hadn't shaved. Somehow they'd smuggled on a guitar and started serenading the world with Dylan and the stones. Things in Mission Control's eyes were getting out of hand. The boy was doing fine, but the nappies the crew had improvised out of spare re-entry tiles were getting scarce the oxygen was running low. They'd tapped the glass-fronted instruments a hundred times, encouraging the needles not to go into the red. Then one day, with the captain's permission, the science officer threw open the airlock, pushed some nappies towards the heart of the sun, and continued about his business as if nothing had happened. And nothing had happened. Maybe one day, the world didn't need to hold its breath. Space, it seemed, was quite breathable, always had been. Cold, yes, but hardly as inhospitable as we'd been led to believe. The crew changed their broadcast frequencies and began beaming messages across the continent, cutting through country FM radio and dusting up the Bible Belt. They encouraged brave souls to meet them up where the air is clear. You could have seen tantalizing images of a space-walking infant. In America at the time, stuffed full as it was with young men looking for a draft dodge and housewives listless for the next wave of feminism, people needed an escape route. There seemed nothing better than to join the flotilla of balloons, private planes, and transcendental meditators who made the journey through the stratosphere. They arrived in dribs and drabs, having forgotten how seriously jet streams can affect one's map reading skills. Imagine those magical last few hours when the Earth's pull slowly disappeared and everyone could make their way towards the spaceship, doggy paddling in the great wide open. They surrounded the craft and waited until a bedraggled astronaut appeared, one arm around his son, the other scratching the stitches across his belly. He glided out to meet the Voyagers. Edward Stone, the proud double parent, made the speech of the century. His words swelled the hearts of the hippies and the housewives, made them feel bold and justified in following their course, in swimming towards their destiny. Tears slipped around the capsule as the rest of the crew listened. It may be hard to describe the sound of a cheer in space, but those people knew they had found the peace that Earth could never give them. They had discovered something which should never have got out into the open. Leaving the planet was a good idea. Mission Control pressed their eyes hard against telescopes. This was too much now. They telephoned the CIA, who called the Senate, who woke up the President. A plan was hatched between overworked suits and bleary-eyed pajamas. Maybe the excitement got too much for the baby. Maybe he could sense something as he nestled on his father's cracked nipples. The crowd cheered some more as a milky hiccup gurgled out towards the sunset. A cold shadow passed over the crowd. Something was approaching. Mission Command had finally responded to the crew's insubordination. A helicopter approached, bristling with armaments. The crew held still, and Baby Douglas pressed himself closer into his father's arms. They waited. The blades of the craft spun so slowly it made the whole thing seem like slow motion. The loading door slid open and two young men in combat fatigues looked out, as scared as everyone else. They pushed out large boxes, floating them towards the spaceship. The crew and guests watched, puzzled as the markings became clearer. Szechuan Duck Restaurant, Cape Canaveral. The smell of soy sauce was overpowering. The helicopter pilot waited until all the packages were headed on target, before making a solemn salute to those assembled. Compliments of NASA, he barked, to no one in particular, starting the rotor blades again. The helicopter began to drift back to Earth, and the crew and guests were left alone with their meal. And what a meal NASA had delivered. Using chopsticks was difficult enough on Earth, but here the diners began chasing noodles over the fuselage, coaxing wonton soup, and negotiating a million grains of rice as they floated overhead. There was the laughter and joy of a food fight as sweet and sour sauce began its own space exploration. Spring rolls danced with cross-legged businessmen, Mormons pecked at twirling chow mein boxes, and hippies swapped their mantras for fortune cookie wisdom. There was plenty for everyone, and soon enough, despite spillages, the Szechuan duck's liberal dusting of MSG put everyone into a peaceful doze. For that evening, with the goodwill sign from NASA, the world seemed different, the possibilities endless. But morning broke those dreams in two. NASA, on the CIA's orders, had filled that picnic with tiny parasites. The devastation was quick and cold as the military-grade tapeworms ate their way through crew and guests. With the astronauts incapacitated, the director started the cleanup operation. Adverts were papered over forgotten dreams. But they never caught the child. Somehow, he escaped. Stowed away on one of the many tiny crafts that were herded back to Earth. That's all I've got so far. My client needs to know this. For once, he can be thankful of his brittle bones. He'll finally know where he came from. I stand up again lean against the wall and finish the long string of numbers i just hope he understands about the bar tab hello doug this is hank from the agency i'm calling you about edward stone your father and i guess your mother too This story was brought to you by Drabblecast Productions, using a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Visit the Drabblecast at www.drabblecast.org.